following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. A series through the book of Ephesians. And this morning we're going to begin a series, actually a three-week series, looking at verses 3 through 14. And verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1 are really written as a doxology or a hymn of praise. And uh, this really won't be the trend for the whole book of Ephesians. But this morning we're going to look at verse 3. Some of you know me, you'll think, oh yeah, sure, we're going to do this verse by verse through the whole book. At places it will go faster than this. But um, this is really one of the most remarkable things written in all of Scripture. So much so that, uh, and there's so much in here that uh, most of it just kind of goes over us. And Paul packs so much into these few verses that it's easy to really miss all that's here. And so uh, I do want to take some time over the next couple of weeks to really look at and unpack all that Paul talks about here. Um, Praising God is something we were just built and made to do. It's something that's very unique to human beings. And I just got an email this morning. Some of you know Daniel and Martha McCarty. I maybe got this email this morning. Um, God did something really cool in his life. And Daniel, if you know him at all, is a very enthusiastic guy. He loves to praise God. And he just could not help but sharing what God had done. So I want to share with you his story. It's great. He says, as Monora and I were loading items in a rental car on the East Coast, they're in the United States, I carelessly set my iPod on the roof. Ooh, sad day. Forgetting it was there, I drove off and continued over 40 miles through the mountain roads of the Poconos in a downpour. The next morning, as I went to load the car, uh, load some other items in the car, I looked up and there, perched on the back edge of my roof, was my iPod. To our amazement, the iPod had slid from the front driver's side to the back and had somehow stayed on. I get to see that iPod hanging on back there for dear life. Help me. Miraculously, after drying it for over a week, it came on of its own accord and started playing through its miniature speaker, His Eye is on the Sparrow. (laughs) I can see this little iPod just hanging on. It finally dries out. His eyes on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. Well, that's a great story. And, uh, you know, it's good to just praise God for his goodness and his blessing. To see God taking care of, you know, our electronic gadgets. Um, you know, we, we were created uh, uniquely by God for, with a capacity for praise. Uh, and th- there is something in us that uh, is stirred and moved by things that are impressive and extraordinary, and we feel this need to respond with praise, with giving adoration or admiration for these things that stir us. Uh, if you don't believe that, all you need to do is go to a, you know, a concert or a rock concert or the Academy Awards or a, a book release or uh, you know some public venue where somebody is doing something where they're showcasing their gifts and abilities and uh, you'll always find crazy fans 
praising the efforts of those who can do this stuff. Uh, go to a sporting match, a sporting game, and uh, you'll see people uh, praising their heroes. And this is especially true if, you, if you've actually tried to do what they do, right? It's like if you've tried to play sports, if you think you're a soccer player, you think you got some moves, and then you go to a professional soccer match, and you see these guys doing things that just seem inhuman. It's like you, you, you go home and you try it, and all you do is fall flat on your face, right? And you go, wow, those guys are amazing. And it stirs something in us, right? When our team wins and uh, uh, beats all the other teams, and, and it's exciting, and we, something is stirred within us to praise. Uh, it's uniquely human. It's something that God built into us as creatures created in his image. I don't know if you notice this, but dogs don't do this. You know, the dogs don't go around bowing down going, wow, man, you chased that car. Oh, I have never seen a dog chase a car like that. Wow. Right? Just don't do that. Uh, they don't, you know, go, man, you can mark fire plugs like no dog I've seen. What, that's like five gallons worth right there. Wow. You know. Uh, only human beings do this. Uh, has your cat ever been impressed with anything you've done? <laughs> ever. Right? Uh, it's unique to us, and that's because, well, one of two explanations. One, it's just a quirk of evolution that, boy, we're the only things that evolved with this need to worship and praise. Or, more likely, God created us as unique beings created to ultimately see and observe his glory and splendor and wonder and respond in awe and admiration uh, at who he is and what he's done. But that's why he made us. That he made us for the purpose of worship. And so we gather on Sunday mornings and we spend time in this exercise of praise uh, in our daily life. You know, when God saves our iPod uh, from getting dropped off the car, we get excited and we respond, God, thank you. And there's a sense of gratitude and admiration and thanksgiving and really a sense of being impressed at the glory and splendor of God. Um, in, in Ephesians chapter 3, um, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle Paul, uh, after his traditional greeting, changes his standard format in most of his letters. Most of his letters he gives a greeting, and then he goes into a prayer of blessing, which was a standard format, actually, not just in Christian letters, but in, in letters of that day. Um, he, he really, in Ephesians, uh, doesn't follow that format. He gives his greeting, and he goes instantly and immediately into this extraordinary 11-verse, uh, or actually, let me think about this, 12-verse, my math is not so good, 12-verse, Declaration of praise, right? And um, he is really just bursting with praise. And he begins up, we're going to look just at verse 3. Uh, he says, All praise or blessing to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we have been or we are united with Christ. Um, he begins his letter. He can't get to the prayer part. He just barely gets through the greeting and he bursts forth with praise. He is just excited to bless God. And he follows a very familiar pattern in the Old Testament that's called the Barakah. And in Jewish, if you have Jewish roots or Jewish circles or know people, uh, this is a standard praise formula 
Uh, I'll give you my only... I took Hebrew. This is all I remember. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. Which means something to the effect, praise God who is king of the universe. That's all I know of Hebrew. It's all gone. But it's a standard blessing formula that, that Jews would use to give thanks to God. And that's what we get here is really the Greek version of that. Uh, Paul says, bless God. Bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and he actually unfolds in the next verses a cascade of praise. Okay? In, in English, because it doesn't translate very well, and it's very difficult to actually read it this way, but in Greek, it's actually one long, ongoing sentence. All right? And I'm going to read it um, that way. And like I said, it's not the most readable. Okay? So you may get kind of lost. Don't try not to let your brain wander. But I want you to get this, this sense. I got this picture of this wave after wave after wave. We were at the beach one time, and the wind was blowing. And the waves were just stacking up on the beach like this. And just as fast as they could come in, they were piling up and crashing in. And that's kind of the effect of what Paul does here. And while you may get lost with the words, I, I hope you'll get some sense of this, this crashing of praise as just one thing builds on another on another. And uh, if I could do it, I would read it, read it all in one, one breath. If I tried, I would pass out. But that's kind of the, that's kind of the, the, the idea of what Paul's doing here. So listen to this, this, this doxology, which, by the way, this is labeled the doxology of blessing. For me, when I was a kid, what doxology meant was that church was over. Because at our church, we would always, they would always sing, the, it was the last, last thing on the menu, you know, it was the doxology. And it was the cue for me to wake up, because it was time to go out. And church was over, and I was excited, and I was filled with praise. Um, not quite the intent of what a doxology is supposed to be. It is a hymn of great praise and thanksgiving to God. So listen as I read. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence with love, having predestined us for adoption to himself through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, so that we would praise his glorious grace that he gave us in the Beloved One in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our offenses, according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, along with all wisdom and understanding, when he made known to us the secret of his will, which was according to his plan that he set forth in Christ to usher in the fullness of the times and to gather up all things in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth, in whom we were also chosen when we were predestined according to the purpose of the one who does everything according to the attention of his will, so that we who had already fixed our hope on Christ might live for his praise and his glory, in whom you too, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, have believed and have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to his praise and his glory. Wow. Did you get all that? It's such a barrage that actually it's like getting hit by a machine gun, you know. It's just, how do you grab hold of all these amazing truths? And so we are going to slow it down a little bit. We're going to show it in slow motion and try to get some of what Paul here. He's got incredible things packed into this amazing sentence. So, um, and you get this, you get this 
I want you to get the sense here that Paul really is just bursting forth with praise. That, that Paul has experienced things in his life and he cannot help but explode with praise and thanksgiving. And he's so excited that he writes this letter and the first thing he does is he just bursts out with this incredible hymn of praise at all the things that God has done. All the blessings he's blessed us with. And so that's what he does. That is really, uh, that ought to be the experience of every one of us as believers in Christ. Praise ought to be something that is just bursting out of us because we have so encountered God's grace and power. Now, let me tell you about reality, about at least where I live. You know, I read this, I've read this in the last two weeks, I don't know, probably 50 times. And mostly I just get confused. And, you know, I feel Paul's enthusiasm, but I don't understand why he's so excited. And in all honesty, I think, man, I want to get this worked up and excited and charged up about God. But deep down inside, I don't. And I'm not. And as I've evaluated and looked at this, uh, I think Paul has a lot to teach us here about how and why we worship. Where praise comes from and where praise ought to flow from in our life. And so we want to take some time and examine that. And he gives us some great insight, even in this first verse this morning. First of all, uh, he, uh, he blesses God. And specifically, he says, uh, bless God, praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he praises God, not just as God as this individual being, but he specifically pinpoints God as a father. That's very significant and important. Um, and to kind of put this in perspective, uh, I want you to think about for a moment, if we were to compare the God of Israel, the God, of, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, with Allah. Okay, and I've had the chance in the last few weeks to spend, have some very interesting conversations with uh, Muslims, in particular with one Thai Muslim. And uh, in the Muslim faith, of course, one of their cornerstones and hallmarks is that God is one. In fact, they love to tell you that as a Christian. They love to tell you, by the way, we believe in just one God. And they're convinced that we believe in, like, multiple gods because uh, they don't quite understand the Trinity. But think about if you were a Muslim and God existed before the creation of the universe, before he made anything else, there was just God alone. Versus the God we conceive of who has existed from all eternity past, not just as God alone, but as God who is a father in relationship with a son. What is different about that? Well, for, the, for Muslims, God existed primarily as a lonely being whose chief hallmark was his holiness and righteousness. He is a God who is holy and not particularly loving. And why would he be? If he's lived alone for a long time... Who would he love, right? He could love himself, but he couldn't really give or extend love in relationship. And so the God of Islam is a very lonely, harsh, rigid God who is never cast in terms of relationship, right? He is just a God who is vengeful and wrathful, and if you don't get it right, you better watch out. And you hope that you're one of the guys on the right side who's blessed, but not in the context of relationship. The flip side is we believe in a God who is, from all time, and Paul praises him here, not just a God, 
But God who is Father, God who has existed for all eternity past in deep, intimate relationship with the Son, and who has exercised perfect relationship of the ideal Father giving himself continually to his Son and living in communion and fellowship and relationship with the Son. So for us as, as Christians, one of the hallmarks of the chief, perhaps the chief hallmark of our concept of God is that he's a God of love and relationship. Now, does that mean God's not righteous or holy? Well, he is righteous and holy. But righteous and holy are, are ways that describe how he does relationship, right? His righteousness and holiness isn't just something that stands arbitrarily on its own. It really describes and explains how he is in relationship with people. He always does the right thing towards people. He always did the right thing toward his son. He uh, set apart his son as a, as a unique and holy possession, sacred to him. He now sets us apart as a holy people, set apart for himself to love in a unique and special way. So his, his, all of his attributes are seen uh, under the shadow of this God of relationship, this God who is Father. And Paul, um, you know, Paul picks in this psalm, and as, as, as the song, as you read through it and study it, it becomes clear that every word Paul picks, he picks with great meaning and significance. Uh, he de- deliberately chose this concept, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he casts God in that, that picture of relationship. We serve a God who is first and foremost a father. And throughout this doxology, we see this duo of father and son uh, working on our behalf. God the Father never works alone. God the Son never works alone. They work in tandem to accomplish the eternal plans and purposes of, of the eternal God through the Son. Right? Uh, you know, in, when it comes to the place of praise and worship, I think it's good to take a moment and stand in awe of God as Father. To really, you know, if, there's, if, if praise is seeing somebody do something well, especially something we've tried and been not so good at, uh, seeing God as Father ought to inspire in us huge praise. Because here's the deal. All of us have had a father, right? Uh, at some level or another. Now, maybe you had an absentee father. Maybe you had not a very present father. Maybe you had a horrible father. Maybe you had a pretty good father. All of us got here because of a father, right? Uh, the reality is that none of those fathers could, could ever measure up to God as a father. Uh, on top of that, a whole bunch of us actually are fathers. And we've actually tried this. We've actually given the shot at it. And we realize this is not easy. You know, it's actually quite difficult. And uh, if we're honest, we, 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 we are aware, sometimes painfully aware, of our own failures as a father, our own times when we really let our kids down, let ourselves down, let our families down. And we go, you know, this fathering thing is not so easy. Uh, maybe we've seen some pretty good examples of it, but nobody has ever done it like God has done it. And we had to reflect and meditate on what it meant for God to be Father to His Son Jesus, uh, to us, and then not to inspire in us praise. Go, man, you know, this is not easy. 
And God makes it look so easy. And that's, you know, that's, that's, like, that's where praise comes from. When, like, like I play the guitar and I hear things on, and I hear tapes of these guys doing these amazing things on the guitar. In fact, I, I saw this guy once. He's one of the best guitar players I've ever seen, Mark O'Connor, very gifted. Uh, he actually, his forte is actually playing the fiddle. And on the side as a hobby, he plays the guitar. And it's just disgusting. And he puts more notes in, in more speed with more grace and beauty and f- just fluid rhythm than anybody I've ever heard. And I think, man, that's just so cool. And he makes it look so easy. Just and I try to do that, and man, it's just crash and burn. It's nothing like what he does, right? And I go, man, that guy is good. Same thing with God. God makes it look so easy. And we ought to stand in awe, awe and wonder that God is our Father. Um, he goes on and he says, We bless this God, this Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And uh, Paul uses the same word three times here. We bless God who's blessed us with blessings. Kind of for emphasis and kind of to paint this picture that we bless God through our praise. He in turn blesses us through his good gifts. What, what are blessings? Like, what does it mean to be blessed? Um, if you were to define blessing, what would it be? Um, Sometimes we get the idea that blessing is like what really holy people do over you. Like, you know, I bless you, my daughter, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is a form of blessing, but that's really not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about receiving good things. To be blessed simply means to be the beneficiary, the recipient of God's good gifts. Um, now, I want to have you do a short exercise, okay? And this will involve talking to somebody beside you. I want you to think of like three to five blessings that God has given you recently, or not so recently, okay? Three blessings. And uh, you can share a couple of those with the person next to you. Okay. I know you all are very blessed, so you have a lot to share. How many of you would say that... uh, you know, that if you took the time to think about it, you may not necessarily feel it, but you know, even though sometimes you may not feel it, you know that you really are very blessed. How many would, would affirm that? Okay, I think it's about everybody. Some of you may be in a place where you're in a hard time right now and you don't feel blessed at all, and you know, our, we want to we pray for you because God wants to bless you. Um, I want you to think about the things you thought of. And if I were to sit down quickly without having a lot of time or coaching, and really just try to rattle off a bunch of blessings, um, I think they could kind of fall into two broad categories. One blessing would be things that are primarily physical blessings. Another would be the category of spiritual blessings. Now, as you shared your blessings, as you thought, now, of course, if you shared with your spouse, you know, you had to say, well, you're a blessing, right? You've got to say that when you're just in big trouble, right? So, you know, that's, and that's a good blessing for sure. Um, but, but if you were to divide these things up, how many would fall in the category of kind of physical blessings, material things, God's provision for your daily needs, God's care, your health, um, in your house, having a car that runs, um, which I have not always been so blessed with in the recent past. Um, you know, the, the things of this world and this life, right? If you were to compare those blessings to what you would consider 
spiritual blessings, how would they weigh out in your mind and thinking? As I kind of did this exercise in my own heart and mind, I found that it was much quicker and I was much more excited and interested in the physical blessings, right? Uh, Not that I'm not aware of certain spiritual blessings, but honestly, I'm really excited about like cash gifts, right? I like those. Uh, The whole, you know, redemption for the transmission forgiveness of your remission of sins thing is cool, but not quite as cool as the cash gift. It's kind of like, you know, on your birthday when you get the card, and the card has two parts, especially if it's from your mom. It's got the real flowery picture with the nice flowy little sayings about what a wonderful son you are, and blah, 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 blah. And then there's the cash gift, right? Now, what do you really cherish the most? Well, you know, the cash gift, right? I can spend the cash gift. I can, you know, buy food, fun toys. The card, well, it just sits on my desk and falls off in the trash can, right? Honestly, at least where I live, I live a good chunk of my life in the physical realm. And honestly, I feel most blessed and loved by God when it's tangible physical things, right? Uh, Maybe you are in a spiritual realm and level way above that and above me, and I hope so. But I think for a lot of us, often, that's how we experience life. And the reason is that so much of our life is focused on this body. The reality is that we live out and live through much of our life in connection with this physical body. And it gets hungry, and it gets tired, and it needs stuff, and it doesn't like walking, you know, long distances. It really doesn't like swimming across the ocean to go home. It likes things like airplanes and cars and really nice food and ice cream. It likes to be pampered and comforted. It would really like to stay young and beautiful, even though in reality it's getting old and falling apart and stuff's falling out and falling down and sinking and sagging. And we, we, we live a great deal of our life trying to prevent all that and to hold on and preserve beauty and youth and youngness and health and strength and to keep our body happy, right? Uh, so we appreciate in a unique way God's blessings in that realm. And certainly God has blessed us. Uh, And I hope all of us in this room who really have been blessed in in many physical ways with wealth and prosperity in comparison to other parts of the world, that we are thankful and appreciate those blessings. But Paul here doesn't talk at all about those blessings. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for blessing us with every spiritual blessing. And throughout this passage, he definitely focuses on the spiritual blessings. And as we go through the next couple of weeks, we'll kind of identify specifically what these spiritual blessings are. Uh, but I want to just think a little bit this morning about, about why it is that you know, we can get so excited about the one and kind of how often in my life I miss the significance of these spiritual blessings. And in fact, one of the reasons I think we miss out on really the call to praise is that we can live so much of our life in this physical realm, so tuned into the physical things and the physical blessings, and kind of detached and distant from the spiritual blessings, which Paul identifies here as much more real and much more significant. And so what happens is our praise becomes very shallow and empty because, you know, we get charged up and God kind of bails us out financially or, 
You know, he heals us and, well, it's praise. He saves our iPod. Hallelujah. Praise God, he saved the iPod, you know, which is cool. <clears throat> but we, we don't get some of the true spiritual blessings that are actually much more substantial and significant and real. Paul says, I, I just bless God. I praise God so much because he has poured it out in us such an amazing abundance of spiritual blessings. Now you got to understand where Paul was at when he wrote this letter. Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel. He had been preaching the gospel at this point for many years of his life. Paul probably owned nothing. Uh, he had been this itinerant preacher who did not own a home or a house. Uh, he couldn't afford the luxury of hauling stuff around. You know, back in those days, the U-Haul thing was a little complicated when you walk everywhere. Um, he couldn't store it. He didn't own anything. He had no possessions. He was in prison, eating prison food. Uh, he writes in other uh, letters that he desperately wanted somebody to bring him a coat because winter was coming and he was freezing to death. Just a guy who had nothing. In the realm of spirit, physical blessings, here's a guy who didn't have anything. And yet he is bursting with praise to God because he has been so filled and just blessed by spiritual blessings. See, the reality is I think that for all of us, uh, Paul is inviting us and challenging us uh, to live much more of our life aware of the spiritual realm, tuned into the spiritual realm. Here's the reality. You know, uh, I love to eat. I love, uh, I love to be comfortable. I love to drive a nice car. Uh, you know, if I can get upgraded on my flights to economy deluxe or first class, every once in a while, you know, they randomly pick you out of, you know, this, and they upgrade you. To, have you ever had that? You got upgraded to business class just out of the blue? I love that. Actually, I hate it because then... You, know, you never want to go back down again. You're like spoiled forever. Right? I love those, those comforts. But here's the, here's the question. Do any of those things ever, ever feed your hungry soul? Do any of those things really meet the needs of your heart or your spirit? And the reality is that one of the reasons that for me and for, for I think for many of us, we... We, we, we can live and enjoy God's blessings in the physical and we miss them in the spiritual is that we just don't live there enough. We're not aware of our, our spiritual existence. We're not aware that really God designed us and created us to be governed by our soul, not our body. And that there is deep within us something crying out for so much more than what the things of this world can satisfy our longing for things like joy and happiness, of being loved and cared for, and being, having a life that has purpose and meaning and significance. The reality is that none of the blessings in the physical world can ever speak to those needs. All right? And it's the great lie of Satan that has tried to convince us forever since we were uh, one day old that those physical things can meet those spiritual conditions. That if we get enough stuff and enough things and our circumstances are right, we can be happy. And we can experience joy. And we can know peace. And we can feel loved and feel that we belong and are cared for and nurtured. It's a lie of Satan. 
those things, the material things of this physical world, can never speak to the cravings and longings of our soul. That's why Jesus said, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. Jesus said, I alone can, can, can feed your soul, can give you a drink where you thirst and hunger and long the most. And so Paul says, and Paul's reality and experience is that, look, in the, in the spiritual blessings of my life, I am full and satisfied and happy, and my life is good, and I can't imagine wanting anything else. And this is from a guy who's locked up in prison, and not in a nice prison, okay? In a horrible prison with nothing, okay? Wouldn't you love to be at that place in life, okay? I would. I would love to live my life in such a way that no matter how bad the circumstances are, I am just constantly filled with joy and happiness and on cloud nine, right? Because I'm living more out of my soul, out of the spiritual life of my inner man, instead of on the outward life of my physical being. And that's where Paul lived, and it's what he calls us to. And it really is the place where worship takes on a whole new dimension and depth and level. You see, if, if, if we only can praise God and appreciate him in this physical realm, it's so shallow and thin that our praise and worship becomes shallow and thin and really, in the end, quite empty. But the riches of his spiritual blessings are so much greater, so much greater, that once we begin to taste and experience those spiritual blessings and really know them through experiencing and encountering them in our spirit and our soul, uh, we're going to be like Paul. We're just going to be, you know, crazy people who are just exploding with praise over things that nobody else understands, right? Because that's kind of the way this is. He's just excited about stuff. Most people, it goes right by him. That's where Paul wants us to live. Uh, it really is a picture of what I call grown-up praise. The reality is that when we first come to Christ, we do live much of our life in our physical realm, in our spiritual, in our physical body, and so, you know, our pray, our prayer, and our praise tends to focus around those things. When I was young, you know, my prayer list was mostly about physical needs in my life, and my praise was mostly centered around God meeting those needs. But as we grow and mature, it's God's intention that we live less in our physical body and we come to live more in the, the realm of the spirit and our soul. They become aware that there's a part of us deep inside that is spiritually minded, that is outside the reality of this physical world. Um, Paul finishes it up with this phrase. He says, We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. In the heavenly realms in Christ. Um, next slide says, we're so, so heavenly minded. You ever heard the phrase, so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good? Okay, I think that's the dumbest phrase ever. Okay, whoever made up that phrase did not know what it means to be heavenly minded. The reality is the Apostle Paul was so heavenly minded that he turned the whole world upside down. All right? Okay, he changed the world radically. And we're still feeling the effects of what he did because he was so heavenly minded. Paul says, look, my life has been radically changed because I'm now living not just in the earthly realms, but my life has expanded to the heavenly realms. What are the heavenly realms? Well, uh, we, we get this notion 
that when, when Paul talks about the heavenly realms, what he's talking about here is heaven, as in where I go when I die, or the afterlife, right? And one of the problems in our Christian life and where this all breaks down is we think the gospel, and I heard the gospel presented this way. Tim, you're a sinner, which means you're going to hell. But the good news is Jesus died for your sins, which means if you trust him, now you get to go to heaven. But it's going to take a while. You've got to live out your whole life here and kind of just kill time until you die. And then you get to go to heaven and you actually get to receive the benefits of Jesus' death. Right? That's how the gospel was presented to me. And some of you are thinking, well, isn't that true? Well, I hope it's true that you know, when I die, I do go to heaven. But is that the gospel? Is that really what Jesus is about? I don't think so. Because Paul is here speaking about living now today in the heavenly realms. He doesn't say someday you will go to the heavenly realms. He said Jesus, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing already as we live in the heavenly realms. So what is the heavenly realms? Well, it's not future. I mean, it will be future, but it's not only future. It begins today. The heavenly realms are where God reigns and where Jesus is sitting, ruling at his right hand. Right? Uh, the heavenly realms are where God exercises power, control, and authority. Uh, throughout this passage, in fact, 11 times, Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, or in him, or in whom. Uh, we are to live our lives in Christ. To be in the heavenly realms is to be in the place where Jesus himself resides and lives. Okay? And this is important. And we'll see as it unfolds how important it really is. Uh, Jesus is not in any way separate or detached from us. If you are a believer, you are in Christ. Your life exists in him. And I can't explain it. I don't actually understand it. But it's more than just kind of cosmic words. Then the New Living tries to translate this by saying, because we are united with Christ. Uh, The idea that our existence is actually in this heavenly place where Jesus is now seated. Uh, repeatedly in the New Testament, it says that we are invited now, because of the blood of Christ, to enter into God's presence. God's presence isn't found here on earth. It's in the heavenly realms. So to be in the heavenly realms means to live our life in a place where we, we're with God now. Not when we die, but actually here and now today, we can come into God's presence and we can encounter and experience this Father who loves his Son and who loves us. Well, how do you do that? Well, you cannot do that in the physical. If you're waiting to encounter God with these eyes and these ears and with Jesus showing up and they go fishing together or something, it's not going to happen. Okay, Jesus left. Jesus has left the building. Okay, and you will never encounter him on this life and this earth physically. We encounter him in our soul, in our spirit. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. Okay, that's what it means to be in the heavenlies. Interestingly, though, the heavenlies also is the place where Satan lives. Uh, it is the place of spiritual warfare and battle. It is the place where the forces of darkness have waged a huge war against the forces of light. Now, that war has been going on the whole time. But now we are removed from just the physical realm, and we engage and encounter the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenlies. Now, the heavenlies are not separated from the earthly. 
Okay, the heavenlies encompass everything that happens on earth. It's just that before we didn't know it. You know, before Christ lived in this world in the physical realm, kind of clueless as to this spiritual warfare and the spiritual existence that's going on around us. Now, Paul says, we've been blessed in the heavenly realms. We've been poured out with this abundant shower of blessings as we live part of our existence in our life in this bigger reality, this expanded reality that includes the heavenly realms. Uh, did I explain that very well? No, actually, not at all. Because I don't get it, right? I can't explain it. I don't really understand it. But it is part of what is true about our existence. We aren't just people living out life in this earthly shell until someday we die, and then we go to heaven. We are right now, this minute, residents uh, of a much bigger reality in the universe than just the physical one. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that if we could only... If we could only get a glimpse of the expanse of our soul, we would bow in awe and wonder at the magnitude of who we are. Did you know that? That's who you are. You're this soul, this eternal being who abides in the heavenly realms with incredible substance and weight spiritually. And I don't feel so good. I've got a cold and I'd just like to go to bed. But that physical reality is nothing compared to the spiritual realm of who I am in Christ. And what opportunities I have to receive and encounter God's blessings in that place. Um, so the reality is you can never be too heavenly minded. Um, you can never be too heavenly minded. The reality is we are far too much too earthly minded. We spend too much of our life focused on earthly things and earthly problems and our earthly self. And we don't realize who we are in Christ. Uh, and so our praise is kind of cheap because, you know, we're in the pit of this world instead of in the glory of the heavenly realms. Uh, we don't spend enough time in Christ, in God's presence. Have you ever met anybody who spent too much time in God's presence? Right? I haven't. And I'm not that person. I wish I was, you know, who just was so much in God's presence that God just beamed through my life. I've never met that person. I want to be that person. Um, instead, I spend far too much time seeking physical blessing in the physical realm. Uh, I've never met someone who spent too much time feeding their soul and nurturing their spirit. I've seen a lot of people who spent a pretty healthy amount of time feeding their body and not exercising, right? Um, I've never seen or met somebody who spent too much time thinking about their soul, the condition of their heart. But I've seen a lot of us, a lot of myself included, worried too much about outward appearances, what people will think of us. Right? We can never be too heavenly minded. And the reality is that we must be more heavenly minded because in the end, what will most impact this world is a heavenly reality. Paul did incredible things for God, not because he lived a lot in the physical world, but because he was empowered in the spiritual realm. And he knew and understood the spiritual blessings, and he worked diligently to impart those blessings to others. The truth is that we will impact this world most dramatically, not when we're concerned about this world, 
but when we spent time and energy living in the spiritual realm and experiencing its blessings. Let me close with just a cool testimony, a word of praise, an update. Uh, last week I shared with you that our Marshall School, which I need to clarify, this is the, the elementary school. We have a preschool and we also have a first through sixth grade school. The, uh, as I shared last Sunday, the first through sixth grade school, we have this old abandoned school that they're renting us. We spent a lot of money fixing it up and moved in in the middle of May to have school there. We have about 50 students and 20 staff. We found out a week ago that, that we had to move out. Long story, I won't go into all the details, but we're being forced by the community members to move out of that building. Um, and we're being forced to move to a school 25 miles away with no classrooms. And uh, we were just going, this is a mess. This is a disaster. And um, what are we going to do? Well, I shared with you last Sunday, we prayed. I had actually prayed on Saturday. I just really spent some time in the heavenly realms. Not that I do this often, but this particular day, God opened the door, and I was able to really spend time in his presence and hear him speak to me. And he really spoke to me very clearly that uh, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I really felt God um, saying that, that this resistance would not be able to stand up against God's purpose and plan that he would carry out through his church. I don't know what that meant. I don't know what that looked like. All I knew is we were going to have to move. And I'm thinking, this looks a lot like, you know, the doors are closed. But I felt confident that God had more. Look, Monday morning, the, uh, a nearby school, Thai school, that actually has some jurisdiction over the building we're in, called us and said, uh, we want to meet with you. So we met with them, and the principal said, I'm really interested in your school. Uh, we're not against or opposed to what you're doing. And in fact, I want to help you. And what we would like to do is, is transfer your registration from the school 25 miles away to our school. And then you can stay in your building. And we just like fell over. It's like, what? He says, yeah, we can do this. We can make it so you can stay in your building. That's like, wow. Praise God. And it was on one hand a spiritual, I mean a physical blessing. But I saw it really as the, the spiritual forces being pushed back. That through prayer, through the belief and trust of God's saints, through the ministry of the church, um, you know, the doors of hell are cracking. And the forces of darkness are losing their power and their grip in the heavenly realms. Uh, now, it's not over yet. Okay, Tomorrow there's one more meeting. And we have to get this all approved by the area education office. So we need to keep praying. Uh, tomorrow is our final word, whether we get to stay or not. You see, living in the heavenly realm, it does impact the earthly realm. Uh, as we move forward and overcome the forces of darkness, it brings God's kingdom and his truth and light to this world. That's what God wants to do in our life. Those are the spiritual blessings that he wants to do in all of our lives so that we praise him. Let's pray. Father, we do just uh, really stand in awe at your incredible and awesome and glorious presence. And honestly, Lord, oftentimes in my own life, uh, I can't see past the physical realm. Uh, I, 
you are so infinite, you, you are so far above comprehension that sometimes your glory overwhelms us and we, we don't see it. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would help us to live more, uh, not in the physical, but to comprehend and grasp with all wisdom and understanding and knowledge what it means to live in this, in this heavenly realm and the true significance of the spiritual blessings that you are and have poured out in our life with such incredible abundance. So that, Lord, like Paul, we would just be bursting forth with praise because we have experienced in very real and tangible ways the spiritual blessings in our life. Lord, help us to see them and to spend time gazing at, at your glory, which is so far beyond this world. Uh, we pray even now that we would praise you with true hearts of worship and adoration and admiration at this God who is the perfect Father and who has made us his children. We just give you praise and glory and thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.